The following episode of TOEFOP is classified M.A. It contains some coarse language, some nudity, drug references, sexual references, a sex scene, prison rape, time travel, and mild coarse language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for persons under the age of 15. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deke speaking. There hasn't been any great advances in prison rape or space travel. Hello and welcome to TOEFOP. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. And uh, this is a historic moment for <laughs> TOEFOP because uh, we're not recording at your house. We're playing away from home. We're play- this is oh the- no, we played, we played away from home last year in LA. We, well, we've, we've been to LA. Yeah. Uh, you know, we did Melbourne Comedy Festival. From my uh, hotel like, room there. Like every Australian band or actor, we thought we should make it overseas first. Yeah, that's right. To be taken seriously back home. Or at least pretend that we'd done well overseas. Yeah, that's It's right. a lot harder when you're actually broadcasting what you were doing overseas yeah. back to people. We here. wanted to be the vines of podcasting. Yeah, people like, they are really popular in Germany. <laughs> <laughs> I always enjoy that. Like, there's always like a John Butler or a Gautier or, you know, an artist like that. Old Man River. Yeah. I know is really big in, in, in just in one particular country. Yeah. Tina Marina is really big or in France. Hasselhoff in uh, in Germany or Hasselhoff uh, saying when the Berlin Wall came down, <laughs> like David Hasselhoff. Bono must be spewing about that. Don't you think of all the like pop stars? Bono would be the one most cut about that. Well, that is just the place where Hasselhoff is fucking king, man. Like you know, you just walk in and in an ironic way. Now though, it must be ironic because that was 1990. I could understand. Maybe him being legitimate then, but even now the Germans would have to be doing it ironically these days. No, man, I don't think the Germans do anything ironically. <laughs> I think that they're, they're straight ahead. Um, they, they don't want to be confused about anything else. They feel like there's been some shit that went wrong in the past, and they need to be very direct <laughs> about things so people know their intentions. There's no room for innuendo. There was no room for being a bit obtuse or being deliberately ironic. Uh, that's you know, we're just like. This is what we reckon. Here it is. It's out in the open. Um, I know Hasselhoff was like, you know, I, I think he'd still be big. This is what I'm going to say. Like, the French still love Jerry Lewis. Yeah. You know, there's just certain countries where they... I still get fan mail from, like, Holland about McLeod's daughters. Really? I get interview requests, like, quite regularly from, like, this McLeod's fan club in Holland. It's crazy. It's bizarre. You should do it. Uh, not like it's not like a TV interview. <laughs> it's like, can you fill out this questionnaire? We'll email it to you to put up on our site. I what? think I've done a couple, but I don't. I mean, the fact that they haven't seen me on their screens in the last three years, yeah. I think you know, when, if they send me the same questions, do they think they're going to get like a different answer? What are you doing now? Uh, well, they want to see how you are doing a podcast. Are you doing okay? <laughs> what are you up to? Maybe we could get some of that sweet, like McLeod's daughters overseas audience into the podcast, man. <laughs> Well, I'm, you can bring true, that shit to the table. I don't know how many Dutch listeners we have. And you should do that sort of thing where like, you know, like when somebody, yeah, the people want to interview them about one specific thing, but they're out plugging their new things so they have to put up with them plugging yeah, yeah, their new yeah. thing for ages before they can finally get to what they it's, really want to do. It's like when Craig about. Charles came out, um, Craig Charles from Red Dwarf yeah. came out to do the comedy festival like 15 years ago or something. And I was a big Red Dwarf fan. Didn't know he was a stand-up and went out to see it hoping he would talk about Red Dwarf. Yeah. And it was like, 
50 minutes of really, really bad stand-up, and then 10 minutes where he said smeg a couple of times, and that was it. <laughs> it was like, um, uh, I was lucky enough to do a show with uh, John Cleese mm. uh, this year, and, um, oh, how's this? Last year. Yeah, last year, sorry. Um, and, uh, in the last 12 months. In the last 12 months. <laughs> that counts, in my Cleese years. I measure my time uh, before Cleese and after Cleese. <laughs> BC, right. Yeah, BCAC, that's how I do it. And uh, I, it, it led to this thing, which, yeah, this is definitely like, uh, anyway, he, he, I'm just going to fucking say it because I don't care. There's no way of saying this without sounding like a dick, but I'm willing to sound like a dick just to say this because I was so excited by it. He did this interview for this tour he's doing of Australia. And they've obviously asked him in the interview, um, you know, like, stand-ups, have you seen any that you like? Whatever. And I think it was probably because he was, you know, doing an interview for Australia and the only Australian stand-up he probably would have worked with recently is me. And I was possibly the only... (laughs) Like, if their question had been, name an Australian stand-up. If their question had been, who is the name of the only Australian stand-up that you could think of even if I had a gun to your head? Yeah. Uh, then, you know, they possibly could have been the same answer. Well, but- it might have been like some countries, their default Australian is Paul Hogan. So he's like, it's either Will Anderson or yeah. Paul Hogan. <laughs> yeah, it was me, Yahoo Serious, yeah. <laughs> or Paul Hogan. <laughs> and so he mentioned me in this article, and I just was, I mean, I was just wrapped. I was just wrapped. That's John great. Cleese yeah. had like given me a shout out. Like, you know, so yeah, it, it was it was cool. But, um, how did I, get I don't know what we. I, I don't know. We were talking about uh, David Hasselhoff uh, bringing down the Berlin Wall. John Cleese. John Cleese. Oh, I was talking about uh, Craig Charles. Oh. I've seen Craig Charles at Comedy so, Festival. Yeah. So John Cleese uh, does um, this sketch in the show that I did with him, where it's like he's going to do some of his favourites. So he's about to do Dead Parrot. Oh, or he's stuff about that he's to written. do. Right. Yeah. So he gets the audience to request bits. Like any goes, so the whole premise of the bit is I'll do any of my bits, any wow. of my bits. Like I'll do, you know, Dead Parrot if you want to see Dead Parrot. I'll do uh, Silly Walks if you want to see Silly Walk. Don't mention the wall. Whatever you want to, just wow. you know, request, just yell it out. Yeah. And so people get up in the audience and start yelling out requests, right? Yeah. But albatross. But they're plants. Right. So the whole bit is that the plants never request. Yeah. Right. This bit. They always request that they can come up and like, you know, smash him in the nuts with a stick or whatever. Yeah. And so that's the bit. Yeah. But he said they had to drop the bit because he realized like they thought that would be a funny idea. Yeah. But they realized halfway through that people were really enjoying the show. Then it got to that bit. And then he didn't do those bits that they wanted to see. Oh, and then right. they were just grumpy for yeah, the rest of the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That he'd mentioned all those things that he could have done and wasn't doing any of them. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what people really wanted to see. So this is what you could be like on this like message board yeah, right. in Holland with McLeod's daughters. Just not talk about it at all. Well, like always be wedging in the podcast. <laughs> like, you know, always talking about your new thing. Yeah. Like, so they have to like put up with like 20 minutes of you talking about the podcast and your favourite episodes and what guests we've had on and where people can get it. And, you know, you should listen to Walk in the Room. We've done some crossover episodes. And you... So just down the end, they can ask you about some romance you had in a barn. Yeah. yeah well, that, well, that's a great way to get us 20 new listeners in Holland because yeah. I think that's the size of the fan club. I think it's the same person who is sending this stuff. It's not like I'm getting bombarded with like email. You know what they do? They do screen captures and they make little postcards of you and send it to you. So like they've taken stills from the show and made little like handmade postcards with yeah. like, little slogans like, 
whatever my character's name was, like, you know, cool and calm or some shit like that, and they'll send them to me. It's really weird. Really? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I just, I, I, you know, if it's not like I had the best time on that show. Like, it's not like I have fond memories of anything, you know, like I made some friends, but it was really not like a fun gig for me. It was my first or second ever kind of job, and it was tough. Like, you lit in the country out in Adelaide, and the crew hated everyone, and the cast hated everyone, and it was just, there's a lot of really kind of narky, so I don't sort of look back at it with that much fondness, you know what I mean? So when people ask me questions about, oh, do you still catch up with the cast? It's like, no. <laughs> what I love about you, Charlie, is that... Um you like journey into life with such a, a happy demeanor. Like, you know, you, I think if people, you know, you're like a puppy dog and you know, you can go to a party and meet new people and you just fit in straight away. You're a, you're a happy go lucky guy and people respond to you in that way. And even when bad things have happened in your life, you always tend to, you know, even treat them with like a, a cheerful di- disposition. I never knew that your dark ears were on the clouds daughters. <laughs> Because Darkies. the way you just started talking about that, I was like, oh my God, Charlie's about to open up. This is, this is like inside the actor's studio. I, I, no, no, Tell I, us about the dark times on McLeod's Daughters, Have we not Charlie. talked about this before? Well, I mean, I'm sure we talked about McLeod's Daughters, but I didn't realise it was like your... Well, it was all It was your it was. Nick Cave Berlin years. It was, my, it was one of my early first jobs, and I had never gone to drama school. Like, I had... I, I'd sort of studied filmmaking. I'd never really had, my, like, many dreams of being an actor, but I'd sort of fallen into it. Yeah. And so... Um, it was a bit intimidating, like the first time you get in front of a camera, especially when you've got lines to learn, and you've got to do like love scenes and all kinds of weird shit. So I'd done a show for the ABC, then I'd gone over to do McLeod's, and you're in the middle of nowhere. Like it's Gawler, which is an hour north of Adelaide, and Adelaide's pretty remote as it is. So most of the cast and crew were sourced from, some were local, but some were brought in from Sydney and Melbourne. So there was this kind of attitude of everyone's kind of away from home and people are just wanting to get back and see their families they're, they're kind of what do you call it it's like a uh, internment like they're kind of forced to sort of be together so there's this that attitude for a start and then the second a lot thing, of people coming back from McLeod's daughter's like you don't know man yeah <laughs> <laughs> I don't, you weren't there I think it was more what they managed to do was I remember that cold chisel line you know the last plane out of Drover's run <laughs> <laughs> the last you out of Drover's almost gone <laughs> But my first day on set, so I got flown in and it's like an hour drive and, you know, sitting in the sort of my trailer and stuff and then finally I get called out to set. And like normally when you sort of step on the set, there could be 30, 40 people you haven't met before and they're all doing jobs and stuff. So I'm a happy go lucky kind of guy. I'll try and say hello to someone, at least try and sort of, you know, introduce myself. Yeah. So let's break the ice a bit. So I'm doing that and no one wants to talk to me. I'm sort of just like no one's saying hello or anything. So I'm waiting uh, to do this one scene and the camera is setting up and the camera assistant, this little prick, I can't remember his name, but he's looking at me and I'm just sort of waiting, you know, for him to get ready and he just leans out from behind the camera and goes, mate, don't fuck up, we want to get to lunch. <laughs> that was it. And that was like the first thing that anyone had said to me. Yeah. And that kind of did... If you were going to do some sort of, yeah, great uh, actor's quotes book, like, you know, that would be your anecdote. Yeah. And that's what I carried through me. <laughs> uh, like all my career, I was like, don't fuck up. Everyone's got to go to lunch. That's my motto. <laughs> Every day I thought about that. That bit of insight. You can have that, your, that gentleman on the first day who's given me. Or your Meisner, yeah. That camera assistant. So and it was that day I realized I didn't need to go to acting school <laughs> because I had learnt that everyone this, needs to go to lunch. <laughs> it's not a, everyone needs you know to go what? to lunch. It's actually not a bad attitude. Yeah. Like well, if you think about it on a philosophical way. Yes. Basically, you're just saying. Let's get this done as efficiently as possible yeah. because 
you know, at the end of the day, we're all going to sit down together and share a meal. Yeah, maybe, you know, you know what? Another thing about, maybe I'm sounding like a fucking, like, thin-skinned pussy. Maybe yeah. it wasn't that bad. This guy was giving you a bit of friendly, like, you know, advice. <laughs> like, a, a, like a mantra that you could actually use for the rest of your career. Well, I would think that... And you were like, I'll be in my trailer. <laughs> I, would, I would think that maybe I had misinterpreted the situation, but I do know for a fact that just after I left the show, um, Channel 9 did a whole bunch of sackings. I sacked a whole lot of the crew. And uh, there was a like a I think he was an assistant B camera or something like that, and the guy that had given me shit, everyone he used to he's just he's like you know what he was he was Stephen Milne he was a little mouthy kind of guy yeah. like always fucking like giving people shit just like he's a pest right, right? so a couple of days a couple of weeks after I left Channel Nine sacked a whole bunch of people and the other camera assistant on B camera. Um, when he found out that he'd been sacked, he sort of took his pink slip and then he went back to the catering van where everyone was having lunch and punched this guy out and then kept going. It's like, well, you know what? I'm out of here anyway. I've just got to punch that guy in the face. He was that kind of dude. I hope just before he punched him in the face, he's like, I'm about to punch you in the face, but I'm going to get this done quick because everyone's got to go to lunch. (laughs) Uh, Uh, Speaking of uh, people being uh, punched in the face... mm -mm. I um, have seen a couple of movies recently that involved... Uh, punching in the face. Punching in the face. They actually had very, very similar storylines, uh, but have a kind of, uh, you know, probably a, a lot of people wouldn't have necessarily gone, those two movies are, are, are very similar, but I just watched them back to back, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh my God, these movies like have a lot of the same premise. And those two movies were... Uh, the first one was a movie called Warrior, Oh, yeah, right. That's the Joel Edgerton film. Yeah, Yeah, so Joel Edgerton and Tom Hardy, who, by the way, uh, I just, I don't know when it happened. There was just a moment where I just fucking fell in love with Tom Hardy. (laughs) I love him so much, Charlie. It keeps keeps me awake at night. It's because of The Dark Knight Rises. I I don't think it is just that. I think Tom Hardy is fucking amazing. Like he's just everything that I want in an actor. Like everything. Like in you know, Inception, he's like fucking Harrison Ford. Like everything's a fucking wink and a. He's got eight lines and he steals the whole fucking movie. You know who his character is from the moment he's on screen. But you see him all fucked up in Bronson, or you know, you see him um, like in in this film in fucking. You Warrior. see him as a young Jean Luc Picard in uh, <laughs> Star Trek: First Contact. But mate, he is like, and he's gonna fucking Mad Max. People will fucking forget who Mel Gibson was, like. Tom Hardy is going to be so good it's at Mad Max cool. that he will he could go out and call a fucking policeman sugar tits and people would be like Are you Babe Ruthing it? I'm Babe Ruthing you, it. You are pointing at Tom pointing Hardy, to the fence. Tom Hardy is going to be so fucking good at being Mad Max that people will go around to George Miller's house and erase all the old tape of the original Mad Max films because they will not be worthy of being it. Um, the movie may suck, but I guarantee you, something you, he is going to be fucking awesome. You can't say he's going to be better than Mel, though. I am. That's what I'm saying. That's impossible. Mel essayed the role. It's Don't impossible. Care. Don't care. Made it better. Well, I don't think I suppose Heath Ledger made the Joker better. Made the Joker better. Well, did he make it better or just different? No, better. You'd much rather watch the Heath Joker. Man, I watched that again. <laughs> I did watch this that. Is like- <laughs> this is so nerdy. <laughs> but I, I did watch. I watched both Batman Begins and Dark Knight literally like five days ago. It was on TV and Amy just wandered by me at some stage and she was just like, are you fucking watching The Dark Knight again? 
And I was like, I'm, it was just on and I'm just watching a bit, but I fucking suck at her and she came and sat down. And again, we were just watching Heath, Heath Ledger. Yeah. And I cannot, there's not one line that he gets wrong yeah. in that entire film. Yeah, it's flawless. Every bit of it is flawless. It is the perfect interpretation of that character. And I just think it is, and every, like he's funny right, We We have to evil. nip the Batman talk in the butt oh, because yeah, we do it every episode. But before we do, I have to say yeah. one thing about Batman. Yeah. Because <laughs> I do just watch them both back to back. Batman Begins is vastly underrated. I actually forgot how fucking good it's it brilliant. is. It's actually almost. It's brilliant. You know what? In a lot of ways, it's almost better than Dark Knight. I know it's that so you much, think Dark Knight is too long. Yeah, it's so much tighter than Dark Knight, and yeah. and the structure is perfect. Like Dark Knight loses its way with the ferry thing. Like, I, look, it's it's so entertaining, and the film's so great. I don't mind it. But in terms of like just pure like pure efficiency, and no fat Batman. It's begins. amazing. It's that so film. good. No, I, what that's, this is the thing. Like, I mean, I love that film so much that anyway, we love that film so much. <laughs> we can't, we talk, can't about talk about it. We can't talk about it anymore. We do, but um, well, yeah, we can only talk about it come June nineteenth. Yeah. Then you're going to get an onslaught of fucking Batman. So talk. Tom Hardy, um, who is going to be Bane, of course. Yes, I am excited about that. Um, but Tom Hardy in Warrior is like okay. So you know, spoilers. You know, I'm not really going to give away, you know, I don't think any more of the plot than if you've seen the trailer for this film, you'd know what the plot is. Plus, you know, it's probably out now. Just fucking see it. Well, it's fucking uh, awesome. I don't tell me. I don't think I want to know. Are you, are you able to talk about it without um, giving away the ending? Oh, I'm not going to give it. I don't, I don't think this gives away. Literally, I don't think this gives away anything other than if you've seen the, the trailer. Trailers. Okay, cool. So, uh, the whole premise and is... Jolton dies. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out... Yeah, it's, it's really weird. What happens is Tom Hardy's character breaks Joel Edgerton's back, which was exactly what Christopher <laughs> Nolan was going to do. We're not talking about that, man. <laughs> we can't. We can't do it. I'm the one who cuts these episodes, and even I'm like, for fuck's sake, guys, stop talking about Batman. So, um, the premise of the movie is, like, essentially, if you've seen, it's a gritty reboot of... Rocky, blood sport, and kickboxer. <laughs> <laughs> After I watched it, yeah, right, that makes sense. It is honestly a brilliant film. Yeah, like I loved it. I loved it. The performances. I know like, you like grown men who have cried. Did yeah. you cry? No, but the performances are off the fucking hook. But it's legitimately if they'd made exactly the same movie with exactly the same script, yeah. And the leads of it had been Jason Statham and Vin Diesel, it would have been fucking Kickboxer or Bloodsport. Like it is, that's all the premise of the movie is. So I'm not giving away anything other than it's a it's a UFC tournament. Yeah. So that's it's set in the world of UFC, and the two leads are brothers mm-hmm. who have been estranged, you know, from a very young age, and they end up through different paths, you know, competing in this thing and eventually competing together. Mm. Okay, so, you know, that's, that's essentially the premise of the film, right? Um, Do you think that's ever happened in the history of any combat sport, like boxing or UFC, that two brothers have had to fight each other in the ring? Well, I mean, you know, brothers play against each other in AFL yeah, and stuff like that. I'm asking, combat sport. Right. It would be a remarkable coincidence to have, like, Muhammad Ali up against his brother, <laughs> Jahamad Ali. <laughs> his little known brother, Jahamad. No, it's, it's like Gary Clay, because his original name oh, yeah. was Clay. <laughs> <laughs> so like that's how they would not know. Yeah, but when he changed his name, he changed it to J- Jahamad Ali. Well, this is one of the um, uh, kind of 
premises of this film is that people don't know their brothers right. because one of them, you know, has a, has it's a called change Johan. now. <laughs> yeah, and I won't give away. This is the this is where, when it would become spoilers. Okay. The reason that they have different names, but yeah. you know, so the whole premise is that no one knows that these brothers are fighting together. Right. Like, so, so it's only the brothers know. Yeah, only the which brothers. Which actually know. is a brilliant plot device because it makes this it makes the stakes so much higher. Yeah, and here's what I think is the miracle of this film and why I think it's a really good film and the performances are amazing, is that you don't know whose story it is. Like, I don't think ever in the entire film, but like, even you know, like in a film like that, you'd expect, you know, who's going to win. Like, you know, you're going to be painting somebody more favorably than another person. And it's clear and obvious that that person is the one it's got to, you know, that you're meant to be barracking for. Yeah. This film even though one of the characters is really sympathetic and one is really unsympathetic, either of them could be the hero of the film, the person you're meant to sympathise with. You understand both of their journeys right up to the So it's not like Rocky, where when he goes up against the android from Russia with a 12-gauge on his shoulder, he's still going to win. It's ironic that you say that. The champion that they both need to defeat, the the villain of the piece that you can barrack against is that still that cardboard Soviet, you is know. It, is it like Euro trash, I must break you? Doesn't even fucking talk or something. He's like a destroying machine. Yeah, so right. this is kind of the bit of the, the where I think Tom Hardy is just amazing because people would have heard that Joel Edgerton is amazing in this film and that he, you know, like changed his body physically and it's just, you know. And all of those people are absolutely correct, by the way. He's fantastic. But Joel Edgerton in this film looks like an actor who bulked up for a role to play a guy who's in the UFC. He doesn't really ever look like a guy who could be in the UFC. Right. Tom Hardy looks like in this film that if he went into the UFC tomorrow, they would have to cancel UFC next week because he would kill motherfuckers. Right. Like, he has those shoulders. You know, those ones that, like, that only Brock Lesnar has? That like just like you know you you have your I've shoulder seen the, I've seen the trailers, and then there's yeah. the next bit up and that like that your the trapezius <laughs> if the WWF taught me anything that's the trapezius muscle your fucking head becomes like a layer cake like it just has fucking levels that it keeps going up and up like the fucking pyramids yeah like he honestly looks, he looks like he's wearing American NFL shoulder pads but they're skin he looks like he's come out of a fucking video game like it's just fucking insane and I read this article about how he trained and he was talking about like his fitness workout and apparently for hours like he would just like like stand on his head so he'd just like get on his head just so his shoulder muscles would fucking build up and shit and I'm like oh my god yeah I saw some like he's been interviewed on uh some talk show and they showed some footage of his him working out for Warrior and he's doing like one arm push ups on his fucking fingertips and stuff it's insane like he looked like a fighter but also there's not a moment in this film where, like, the funny thing is that the premise, and I won't give it away again, um, but all everything that surrounds his story should make him a hero to you. Mm-hmm. Yet he plays the character so unsympathetically that you believe it as opposed to going, you know, well, that's like... This you is know, the guy I'm meant to like. Yeah, you go, yeah. I don't like him still. You know, it's brilliant. But you... You like him when you don't like him? Yeah. 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 Anti-hero. Yeah, you, you, you don't like him, but yeah. you understand exactly everything that has brought him. The character just seems 100% real. Yeah. He is fucking unreal, and I love him. <laughs> but, um, so we saw him. 
yeah. in the street. All oh, right. In LA, we were just walking down the street. It was like ten o'clock in the morning, and this dude fucking walked by us, and it was like he was in a fucking shining bubble of light. It was like he just fucking stepped out of the Pulp Fiction fucking suitcase. Yeah, right. And like he's a movie star. He's a movie star. Just walking down the street, ten o'clock in the morning, looking like a fucking movie star. It was insane. And he doesn't fucking drink or take drugs or anything. What a loser. <laughs> we saw some um, fucking cracking celebrities. I, I know it's such a cliche thing to you know, talk about going overseas and going to Hollywood and then seeing celebrities, nah, I but it. I fucking love it. It's like, I'd, it just is amusing. Like, it's just, it makes just going to a cafe or a restaurant just more fun because you might see a celebrity. So um, we saw some pretty good ones. Yeah. Uh, Jane Fonda. Which was uh, like Amy was really excited about, but feminist icon. Yeah, well, she's a fucking she's like a big star, Jane Fonda. Um, speaking of people who used to be big stars, but their star has kind of uh, fallen a little. Uh, one morning we were at a place called Barney's Beanery, which you'll know. And I know Barney's Beanery. People who've been to LA or know it's kind of it's like a great a, bar, Barney's Beanery. Yeah, college it's, bar. It's a college bar, yeah. and it's full of like it's got more screens than like the Batcave. Yeah. Like, it's, it's just screen after screen of people playing sports. It's a kind of place where on, like, a Wednesday there's $10 margaritas and shit like that. Jug a margarita for 10 yep. bucks. Um, well, put it this way. We were there at 9 o'clock in the morning drinking Bloody Marys and ordering pizza for breakfast. So it's a sort of place you go to where, you know... You can get Bloody Marys and pizza for breakfast. Yeah. So, uh, Sinead O'Connor. Um, Nothing compares to hanging she, out at Barney's Beanery at 9 o'clock in the morning. Would she have been married at that stage? Yeah, this was her post-marriage when she got back with the husband after they broke up. Because she took him looking for drugs. On their wedding night. And he's a drug counsellor. <laughs> well, he would know yeah. where to get him. Well, he would know which where the good shit was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the guys who are most fucked up come yeah. from this area. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's where we're going. <laughs> he, would have, like, he would have their addresses. Did he's, they a, meet, he's a doctor. Well, I don't know. I don't know the story of this um, uh, modern day uh, love story. But did they meet in rehab? Like, I don't know. No, I think she like. This she, sounds like a, the plot of a Hugh Grant movie. Like, you know, a former eighties pop star meets drug counselor. They get married. Oh, and it's a Ben Stiller film. Yeah, it's like you know he meets this girl and you know this pop star and he like gets her off drugs and thinks that you know they're gonna have this perfect life. But then like the as soon as they get married, yeah. she's taking him to buy drugs. <laughs> <laughs> it um, she went a bit mental. I think Shana she was Connor. always mental. Do you remember when she tore up that photo of the Pope? On, yeah, but, uh, but that she that was in that in between bit where people were like, this could be like she might be the edgiest, you know, sort of, of political, time. you know, sort of, you know, social commentator. I had I had her album. Do you know the Emperor's New Clothes? <laughs> yeah, well, there was the one that had nothing compares to you, right? Yeah. Is that the yeah. only song? Yeah, yeah that's that. That's off the same album. Yeah. yeah. I think so. Oh, fuck, I don't know. Default fact. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Sinead Connor, from what I know, is she went a bit mental for a while and she started posting these things on her blog, on her website, and they're all, like, really sexy yeah. and dirty and talking about, like, anal what sort of guy and... she wanted to have anal sex with. And... and that she tried to get the edge <laughs> to fuck her in the ass or something yeah. like that. I read the same thing. <laughs> but she uses those... Did she do that by no thing of going, come on, Edge, play the blues. <laughs> Come on, Edge. Play my butt. <laughs> she, um, but she uses she uses those really weird. Like, I mean, I've always thought no one has yet come up with a, a funny enough analogy for anal sex for me. Like, uh, like 
you know, like blowjob, you know, when you're getting oral sex. Yeah. But people say stuff like, uh, take a trip down the Hershey Highway. Yeah. Or I just Too comical. I don't know. Just none of them really captured just the kind of uh, what it is. Like a blowjob, that makes sense. Like even though you're actually sucking a blowjob, just a perfect word. But I haven't heard yet a, a, a perfect... Um, uh, synonym for anal sex. I, I tried to get going while um, this was more a Big Brother reference. Yeah. And while Big Brother was on, I was this. Was, I was really keen, and we used to uh, refer to it as uh, the rewards room. Ah, oh, yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. Again, so it's like, though, but it's, it's like, do you want to get like? But it's light enough. Room. It's not a big thing where you just like, yeah, because it could still just be what it is. Yeah. Like the name could still sort of go. Would you like to go to the rewards room? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. But it I, had a Big Brother reference. I don't know, man. <laughs> doesn't have that same zing as blowjob i mean what do you you can't even say it quickly it's like oh we, we had anal like anal. that's that's it's too clinical and yeah horrible. well it actually it sounds, sounds like a medical procedure sounds like you were cleaning up <laughs> or like you were arranging your cds like we had sex while she put all the books in order of colors not in order of authors don't you think it's funny like how anal has sort of become it's almost acceptable now like in terms of like when you start seeing them making anal jokes on like two and a half men, you're like, oh, okay. So everyone's aware that this kind of sex act occurs and that's quite popular and stuff. Like everyone, it's, it's because 10 years ago, when, when I was a kid and I was reading Penthouse Forum, like if you got a letter that was about anal, you're like, oh, this is gold, I'm telling yeah. you. Like gold, now like anal's fucking everywhere. There, it's like, it was a taboo and now it's like, nah, it's a punchline on fucking two and a half men. Yeah, I think it was like, and, and I even think like in the porn industry, like you used to get like, better money if you would do anal yeah that can't be the same now now they're like nah we don't we don't pay extras for uh, uh, anal anymore but how do you feel about horses <laughs> so if you look at like taboos right yeah and, if, and I'm only charting this on the evolution of pornography yeah so it would have been like um, uh, so the first taboo would have been like threesomes like you know having group sex you think yeah, that was like right. what everyone was kind of like, you know, in the eighties, everyone's like, oh, let's oh so you mean just in the evolution of pornography? Yeah. Like, and, and, but, but also in terms of social acceptability, like, you know, like threesomes kind of became mainstream. I reckon know, oral sex, oral sex in the sixties, seventies. Yep. And maybe threesomes around about the same time as yeah. well. So what in the eighties then to be, it's hard to get a threesome going without oral sex. I think you've got to like. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, right. So you re- so, like. So I reckon okay, just so like before, to get to a threesome, you got to give oral because otherwise you're like you're you're bringing in oral sex and the threesome but, at the same but time. I, but I would argue, yeah, that oral sex precedes any sex of any kind, regardless. Yeah, of but not in pornography because sex, like you could still kind of you know, it's like it's procreation. It's like you know, God wants people to have sex. Like the act of sexual congress so you think, is not actually a taboo. So thing. some people just go straight to the fucking. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think, like, because blowjobs aren't about um, reproduction. So, I mean, like, but, sex but is like... Disregarding pe- quickies for a moment. Just yeah. say we're only talking cases of sex where it's like a prolonged period. Yeah. So, like, you know, it's sort of, you know, it's not like a quickie bathroom spontaneous fun sex. It's like, let's go, we're going to have sex. Yeah. I would say that oral would 90%, 99% of the time precede just straight fucking. If you're going to have sex, then I, it always, there's a bit of oral somewhere. Because yeah. if you're going to have foreplay of any kind, yeah, like oral is going to come before. I don't. I don't agree. I think that. Um, <laughs> no, no. But I just think in general, it's like having an entree at a restaurant. Yeah. Like, like the entree is there. Yeah, exactly. And it's yeah. a legitimate way of eating a meal is to have an entree and a main. Yeah. You know. But 
Sometimes you don't want to own a train. Well, Sometimes you're just like, oh, well, we're just going to have a main. Well, to extend the metaphor... And neither of you want a main. To, or you might go, I will share an on train. To, to extend the metaphor further, when yeah. you are having dinner at home, yeah. you don't really have an entree. You just have dinner, right? Yeah. But when you are saying, well, let's do something special, yeah. we're going to eat out tonight, yeah. you'll get an entree. <laughs> we're going to eat out tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you... <laughs> We and you specifically, we will eat and then you will get eaten. Not in a cannibalistic way. You know about eating out yeah. uh, sex, right? Do you speak English? Charlie, the, over, just... the over-explaining Cyrano. <laughs> you're, like a, you're a guy who's really good at like getting like girls in and they're about to go with you, but then you over-explain. <laughs> <laughs> and they lose complete yeah. interest. Would you like to come up to my place for some coffee? Yes, I'll have sex with you. And then you keep talking. <laughs> coffee is a product that I get from. No, it's more like I'm saying. I'm saying to a girl, oh, yeah. would you like to come up to some coffee? And by coffee, I mean Maybe I'm going to have Congress. sex with you. We'll probably start by like, kissing and then, I don't know, I'll try and undo your bra. If it's one of the really complicated ones, you may have to help me. But then I'd say, we'll start on the couch a bit. I'll put my hand on your breast. <laughs> and hopefully, if you're willing, we'll uh, then proceed into the bedroom. And I will probably make some excuse to go to the bathroom to go to the toilet. Just really quickly, because I there's something I just need to do. So if you're still interested in the coffee, would you Wow. The over explaining Cyrano. You know what? I don't think that's too far from me. It's like I'm great, pretty sure. It's a great character. <laughs> yeah, because you yeah, because you look good and you arrive with a bit of confidence. So I think people early on are like, oh he's kind of charming and good looking. Oh no, this is horrible. It's like the end of Lord of the Rings. But I think Why I, is he still talking? I am the over-explaining Cyrano. Definitely. Mm. Like, I'm terrible at picking up signals. I'm also one of those guys who won't kind of make the first move because I don't want to be accused of rape. <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrified of being accused of rape. So, like, I won't, I won't oh. think it's on until it's, it's absolutely, there's no fucking question. Is that why you like to start with oral? Because oh, yeah, you're less likely to be accused <laughs> of rape. In an oral sex situation, then you, like that's a good way of gauging whether it's a consensual <laughs> thing. Like, sex could be a thing that could be, you know, like it could there could be an unclear line. And as, and as, but, as, as the over explainer, I, I say to the girl, as I'm taking down her pants, well, what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to have oral sex with you, and that's because if suddenly you don't consent to this act, this is merely sexual assault and not rape, which is a far more serious crime. Uh, okay, you still cool with this? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I am definitely the over-explainer. Okay, so, uh, so here's what I was going to okay. ask. Is, so I think, anyway, in the evolution of pornography, yeah. which comes out of t- taboo... Take our morals aside. Mm. Whether you, and look, I think you're probably right. In our generation, it has become customary for like oral sex to be sort of a you know precursor to sex, and for both people to do it very comfortably. And it's not a thing that you would even like. When I hear of like a relationship now where like one partner will perform oral sex, but the other person won't do it, I just like it feels like they might as well be like walking around in hats and vests in the olden days and talking about how they don't have enough bread. I'm like, really? Does that still happen? Didn't we just like all move as past in, that? As in one partner refuses to do it yeah. because they think it's dirty or something. Or what just, you know, like like in the old days, there was like a thing that women were expected to do it, but men weren't necessarily Oh, really? Expected. I didn't know that. Yeah, totally. I wasn't even aware of that. Yeah, that was a time. 
What, well, a, this what is... a wonderful time that must have been. How did we get that time? Well, that's the only way I know about this time, Charlie, is men often sit around reminiscing. <laughs> you know, I, honestly, you... I honestly had a guy say to me recently, like, and like, I thought for a minute he was joking, and then I realized he wasn't joking. He said to me, he goes, uh, uh, I was talking to him about Australia, and I said Australia was amongst the first countries in the world proudly to uh, allow women the vote. Yeah. And, you know, and I was saying that as a point of pride about my nation. We've been very, very progressive politically on a lot of issues. There are other issues we are not, but there have been some that were big ticks. And, big uh, dicks. Big ticks. <laughs> big dicks. I think you would have liked this guy, Charlie, because this is what he said. And he said, and that's where we all went wrong, wasn't it? Oh. And I thought, oh, well, that's a joke. He's making a little, I, I mean, it's a sexist joke, yeah. but like, it's a, it's a joke. No, no, he wasn't joking. <laughs> he really believed that when we let women vote, that was where... Who it all went wrong. Oh, you know what? We met a whole bunch of people really randomly. Because um, uh, we were, Amy and I were on holidays overseas together, we would just meet people. You know, you're out at a bar or whatever, you would just meet someone. And uh, so one night we were at this, oh, fuck, we went to this bar in uh, San Diego. And it was like downstairs. San Diego. So he, Wales vagina. <laughs> so <laughs> you had to go. Um, so there's a bouncer up on the street level. But then you go down a set of like, you know, spiral sort of metal staircase. And then you're in this sort of basically this dark little sort of alleyway where there's like two doors. Mm. And both of the doors are those sort of like, you know, metal handle into the wall. Don't really look like you should be going like through the, the doors. Like a, a, a tradesman's entrance to a warehouse. Totally. That's yeah. exactly what they look like. So we pulled one, we pulled the other. They're both locked. Like Which a, is a great metaphor for anal sex. <laughs> the tradesman's entrance. <laughs> to the warehouse. Yeah. I think some people do refer to it as oh, the really? tradesman. Oh, because yeah. it's the back entry. It's a back entry. Yeah, right. The tradesman's. Yeah, I don't mind that. You don't mind that? Yeah, actually, that's quite clever. <laughs> It's better than the fucking rewards room. <laughs> do you want to do it in the tradies? I wonder if when they were building the Big Brother house, a tradesman had ever had to take the back door to the rewards room. <laughs> you know what the problem is with the tradesman's entrance is um, you don't know when they're going to do it. They'll say any time between four and about eight. I'll be, just, you be ready. You make sure you're ready. I'll come at my leisure and then I'll stop halfway through to eat a pie. <laughs> Um, so you're tugging on the doors. Yeah, so I'm tugging on the doors. Can't can't get into either of them. We've gone halfway back up the steps and just like said to the bouncer, "What's going on?" Because we, like, it's not. He sent us down there. Yeah. He's gone. There's three doors, and there's a hidden door in the wall. Right. <laughs> That's what you want. So you find the hidden door. You go in, and the first thing you see is that there's a big video screen in this bar of that little alleyway. And so people in the bar are watching the motherfuckers. Ah, <laughs> oh, motherfuckers! So, I'd be so angry. I, I was angry for a bit, but then I was like, "Ah, other people are tickets." Yeah, so, <laughs> that's right. That was fine. Yeah, as long as you're not the last person to enter that yeah. bar, and you can laugh at someone else, you're fine. So um, uh, th- there wasn't any room for us to sit down. It was a really popular bar. But there was this uh, couple, uh, this Asian couple, uh, who, you know, kind of beckoned us over and said, if you want to take the other sort of side of our, you know, table booth thing, then, you know, that's fine with us. And we were like, oh, fantastic, great, you know. So, you know, we were just making friends. They're like, you know, we're out and about. And they were really, really lovely people. But there was this time in the conversation where it just 
it got a bit weird, right? Yeah. So. <laughs> I'm going to turn the lights down. <laughs> not That's that sort of weird, John. Ah, oh, shit. This is not a Penthouse Forum ah, <laughs> story. Uh, no, uh, he was in the military, uh, uh, which was. That's <laughs> not what I was thinking at all. Uh, yeah, he was in the military. No, he wasn't in the military. Actually, yeah. he was. Uh, he designed bombs, weapons of mass destruction, and, uh, and that was all fine. We, that was quite an interesting com- topic of conversation. You yeah, know? Right. How much could he actually talk about it? Oh, uh, like I mean, you know, I, he he didn't give me codes. <laughs> like there wasn't, you know, specific. Look between you and I, if you do need to blow something up, here's what you do. <laughs> all you got to do is push eight nine times on your phone. Yeah. It's weird. But In we've this actually, combination. It's a really... I mean, it's a pretty simple system, but nobody ever does it, so we're fine. Um, no, uh, we were talking about going to a certain area of San Diego uh, called Hillcrest, which is the gay and lesbian sort of focused area mm. of San Diego. And so this guy, who's been you know wonderful up until this point, obviously launches into what he thinks is an hilarious anecdote, right? Uh. But he tells this story of going up to Hillcrest which we went to, and by the way, compared to, you know, like even like Oxford Street in Sydney or whatever, is a very, very sort of reserved gay community. Like right. it's not like in your face and yeah. out there sort of thing. Um, you know, not that I would care if it would. Uh, in fact, if that's kind of where we went there in the first place, we were kind of not gay enough. <laughs> Make this place more gay. We're tourists. Uh, but um, uh, so he's telling this story about going up there and he said, accidentally that he'd ordered a rainbow ice cream Mm. and then said and you know how they are about rainbows right yeah like like in like you know you know they about rainbows okay yeah right are you does that not make you no no what does that not make you feel a bit weird already? Yeah, yeah. Like it's, if a guy's... It's weird. Yeah, totally. Yeah, okay. I, I don't understand what they... Their obsession with rainbows apart from it being like, you know... Their symbol their of, symbol. you know, yeah. acceptance and but unity. I had no idea that gays were fascinated with rainbows. <laughs> well, That's apparently, Genetically. Apparently they are, Charlie. Yeah, right. Apparently if you buy a, a rainbow ice cream, gays will flock towards yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, Like some sort of Pied Piper. Yeah, of course. Like it's a magical thing. It's like the one moths, ring... Moths to a flame. ...that rules them all. Yeah. Gays cannot resist a rainbow. Yeah. Uh, so so he's unfortunately bought this rainbow ice cream and then gone up and down the street in Hillcrest and licked it. And the gays, Charlie, because you know they can't yeah, go resist the rainbow, have flocked towards him. But then, Charlie, this is when it got worse... What happened next was he dropped some of his change on the ground and he had to bend over to pick up the change and the gays who were flocking towards him <laughs> because of his rainbow ice cream and how they can't resist rainbows couldn't resist They went to level him. three. It was just like they were hypnotised by the rainbow and then they saw his buttocks tensed as and he bent gone, down to pick up his The legend is true. There is a pot of gold <laughs> at the bottom of the rainbow. So he was genuinely concerned that because yeah. he dropped his change yeah. and he had a rainbow ice cream that the gays were about to molest him. Yeah. Now, now we were in this situation wow. where it was suddenly like you Apparent. know awkward. Yeah. It was just awkward because they told this story not in a mean spirited way. He told it as if it was like 
a hilarious anecdote. But do you think anecdote. he genuinely believed it, or was he just playing up? Was he just being a bit, a bit stupid? Like, no, know? no, I think he was doing that classic thing of going, this is a funny story. Like, because... Yeah, but you know, do you think that he story genuinely of the day thinks he got that the... gay people, if you, drop, if you bend over in front of a gay man, that you are likely to get molested? I don't think 100% that, but I think some of that. Like, I think there's a dash of that in there. But he genuinely believed that, like, you know, they're all sexually at a moment's notice. He, he certainly believes that they're all very interested in him and what he had yeah. to offer. Was he a good-looking right? good looking guy? He was a good-looking enough guy. I mean, I think with I think without the rainbow ice cream and the dropping the change, he still would have got some looks. Yeah. He was an attractive enough guy, you know. Yeah. And, you know, he was a nice guy. He gave up a good sort of vibe. But, you know, I was then in that situation where you sometimes find yourself in. These people have been nothing but lovely to us. And they've let us sit in their area. Mm. And he's not trying to tell a story that he thinks he's mean spirited. Yeah, yeah. You know. So I should just let it go, yeah. right? But there's another part of me that I just don't feel comfortable with, like, laughing that off. Because that's not how... I just think that's such a ridiculous position to have in life. And for once... I didn't fuck it up. For once, Amy said to me afterwards, she goes, because she knew that I would be pissed off at what he was saying. And I just, the only thing I could think of to do was just make out like he was really asking for it. Like I was going, mate, what, I mean, like, but like a bit seriously, like, what were you doing? I mean, you know they can't resist what yeah. <laughs> Like you've yeah. gone up there. Ironically. Yeah, using, you've, yeah, you've gone up there. Yeah. You've, you have bought this ice cream and flaunted it in their face. I mean, they... How are they going to resist that? And then you've dropped your change on the and like waved it in the air. I mean, mate, it was so awkward. But anyway. But was he laughing when you were doing that? Or did he know that you were kind of taking the piss? I think he kind of knew that I was taking the piss, but in a kind enough way that it was... Yeah, so how did he react? He was fine. Like it was, you know, we didn't have to leave. And that was what was important. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, what got me into that? Sorry, that was a bit of a dead end. No, we were talking about uh, where you, what would happen with sex. Like, does... Uh... So, um, I, I think when it comes to sex, the tradition of sex, not in pornography, the tradition of sex in, um, you know, when it comes to marriage and procreation and, and, and that sort of thing is that the act of sex itself mm. of, is, is kind of... That's fine. That's supportive because that is... For making a baby. That's that whole like yeah, idea yeah. of like that every sexual act is for making a baby. Yeah, and you're not yeah. meant to use contraceptive because it's you know, the reason you have sex is you know for the continuation of the species, right? Yeah. So I think in a pornographic sense that oral sex came after that as a like a sort Yeah, of, no, I agree. You know. Yeah. So, so it, it was, started with straight sex, it went to oral sex, then it went to threesomes. Threesomes, okay. So then let's say that's around the sixties, seventies, yeah. then we get to the eighties. Anal becomes a new taboo. I would say uh getting rid of your pubic hair. I think threesomes, then getting rid of people. I don't think hair. that's a taboo so much. Like, I think at the time it was... Sca- I don't know, but I thought at the Scandalous time it was like... Shave your pubes? Well, on, you'd never seen it on screen before. You'd seen like, you know... All right. Because like, full bush is very fucking different But anal, to, was, happening, anal was happening before uh, shave pubes. So do you say anal was the taboo? was the taboo? was the taboo after threesomes? And then after anal comes shave pubes? And then, I don't know. I, I would... I think anal, like, no, because even though you were seeing anal in, like, porn early on, really, really, really rarely. Yeah. So I reckon it was, like, it shave was... Shave pubes. Yeah, shave pubes. All right, okay. I mean, just for the sake of moving on. <laughs> so shave pubes leads to anal. Yeah. And so now let's say we're in the the 90s. 
when did it get popular? Not late 90s, mid 90s. It feels yeah. like crossing the noughties. That's when everyone. I remember watching an episode of Sex in the City, and there was a whole episode about doing anal. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. It was like 2004 or five or something like that. So that's when anal's mainstream. Yeah. So what is the next taboo? Uh, I think that you, if you're talking about you know, crossing over into broader cultural yeah. um, reference points, yeah. you know, and that's kind of what we're judging it on. Yeah. Not that like, I mean, because if you go on the internet now, you can find whatever you want to fucking find. Yeah, Just yeah, yeah. think of two words that have nothing well, to do with each it's other. It's got to be something that everyone is doing. And that's why, that's what allows it, I mean, to, to translate into popular culture is that everyone, that's why the joke works. Because it's like, well, everyone's kind of tried it at least. So for me, it's the fucked up sexual shit well which one there's a zillion which one would it be two girls one cup people make two girls one cup jokes yeah right. on like on like you know on a conan but and I people that... get two girls one cup yeah okay but like people have watched only, that they'll seen that I guess the only difference with that and maybe I'm wrong is that with everything preceding it it's acts that people have engaged in or at least tried like a, a majority of the population two girls one cup became like did a crossover not because people were engaging it they were talking about that one act oh yeah but no but I think Two Girls One Cup fits into that genre of like you know animal you know play and all those sort of like people weird fetishes so, fetishes. so basically what you're saying is fetishes have become yeah. the new yeah that's probably right yeah okay that'd yeah. be quirk so does, but okay but if all the fetishes are the new taboo then what's gonna, there can't be anything after that we're, pl- we're plateaued sexually well, I mean, what jokes can you bring? What can come mainstream from uh, the world of sex that we haven't already seen now or at least heard something about because of the internet? I just assume that we'll have to get a new hole. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, people are getting heaps of plastic surgery and shit done to their bodies now. Like, I mean, if you think about what's happening you know, in that so world... So everyone gets a vagina. People are getting vaginoplasty. You wouldn't and call like, it a vagina. It'd be like, your, you'd have to call it like your alternate slit. <laughs> Your alter slit. <laughs> your glory well, hole. Like, yeah, you okay. would actually have your own glory hole. Yeah. Everyone gets a glory hole. Yeah. But why... But what about for women, Because we though? just have to find new places to fuck. Well, how about this, right? Men get a glory hole. Yeah. And women get, like, some kind of attachment, some kind of uh, phallic attachment. Yeah. So, you know, after you go, like, 40 or 50 years of having sex yeah. where you're penetrating, all of a sudden yeah. you can get penetrated. Yeah. It's that. the ultimate feminism. Do you know what I mean? Like that's literally, you know, when when we become equal is that when we can both fuck each other. Okay, so what if that happened? Just say we live wow. in a world. Who would have thought that Tofop would have become <laughs> such a feminist icon in the world of podcasting? But we live in a world where at the age of 30, everyone suddenly switches genders. Yeah, bang. Chaz Bono style. Yeah. So what would that do to like existing relationships? Like if you and Amy suddenly switched genders, do you think that would affect your relationship at all? Um, I mean, you'd still have the same occupations and the same interests, same personalities. It's just that you're now a woman and she's a guy. Right. And so what <clears> comes with that? What So, like, give me... How does it change my life? That's what I'm asking you. Yeah. You're a woman now and she's a man. Do you think it changes... No, but I, like, I'll, I'll tell you about how it changes our relationship. Why don't you give me the parameters of, like, how much am I influenced by being a woman? Well, like, I'm influenced you by... Can, well, you can suddenly have children if you want. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. You can have children. You get a period. Yep. Um... Maybe, I don't know if this is a generalisation, but maybe things like, um, maybe your taste in films change or music. Right. Because, for instance, you're not going to really want to watch a lot yeah. of Adam Sandler because there's no female characters right. in it. I wouldn't want to watch the cricket. 
Well, this would happen. I'm not saying that this, this is like... Be, this wouldn't be an instantaneous thing, yeah. I think, over time. Because after a while, being a woman yeah. for two years, you're going to start wanting to, you know, find about, you know, you're going to want, want to read Cleo, for instance, or shit like that, because it's got news related to you. Right. Um, and I think emotionally you'd become more. Well, I don't know if you, I don't know if you possibly could be any more female emotionally, but let's just say an extra five percent. Yeah, I, I mean, I would finally have the bodies that match their personalities. <laughs> what I'm, what you're saying, what I'm saying, Jelly, is nothing would change for me. It's just that yeah, the only thing that would change for me is that no one would mock me when I cried in the notebook. My friends would support me. They would, they would be there for me emotionally and they would applaud what's going on with me. They would enjoy the fact that I have three cats. I just realised you're the worst guy to My life would be perfect. <laughs> you are a woman. What, who am I asking? <coughs> uh, yeah. I think that's, an, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's like a, 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 a Twilight Zone episode. What would you call it? Gender swap. No, it needs a good pun. A world where everyone switches genders at the age of 30 would be like trans central. <laughs> last, last train to trans central. <laughs> Get the KLF to do the theme music, like bring it back. As like a kind what time of. Is <laughs> hey, um, have you seen that Banksy doco? Exit through the gift shop? Yep. It's fucking awesome. It is amazing. I love Banksy so much. I know it's like such a, it's become a bit of a cliche thing now, but it it's one of those rare instances where, cause like I, I've always really been interested in, in, in Banksy and um, because I just think he has a lot in common with like, you know, what I'm interested in comedy and that sort of thing. And like, it feels like a really natural fit yeah. to the things that I'm interested in. And, um, but even now that he's become sort of more mainstream and, you know, crossover appeal, I've found that my uh, enjoyment of his work has not diminished. And sometimes, like, you know, even though it's a sucky thing to say, you know, I like your old stuff better than yeah. your new stuff. And it's not even because of the the artist. It's because of the people. You're like, I don't like you now because of the people who like you. Yeah. Which is, like, that's such a stupid way to... Like, that's like, you know, uh, like, don't blame Jesus for the people who barrack for Jesus. You know, yeah. sometimes, you know, they're the yeah. ones you don't like. It's not the... Yeah. You know. But what did you think... Do you because you've heard the rumors that it's a hoax? Yeah, it's a hoax. I, I what do you think? I, I, I don't care, um, but I think it is. I think it's a it's not a well, I think it's a work of art. Like, I think it's much like I don't think much it like is. all his stuff. I think that's exactly what it is. I don't, I don't know if it is. I was because Gemma and I, Gemma thinks it's a hoax too. Yeah, and I, I just he has got so much material. Like, if it's a hoax, then it's one of those beautiful hoaxes where it's like 90% truth, 10% hoax. Because it's there was one scene uh, where he has his big exhibition, uh, Mister Brainwash, yeah, and um, they're doing this kind of vox pop with all these kind of native uh, Los Angeles, Los Angelans, Los Angelites coming into the, the Los gallery. Angelinos, Los Angelinos, and um, they're all sort of giving their observations, and it's such a really weird moment in the whole doco where all the people they choose to interview are all saying the most banal kind of uh, lame stuff which is like oh it's great you know I don't even know who this guy was but I know this is cool and I want to be here and that made me think right that there that one little scene that is the comment on the art world 
is that now anyone who's a street artist with the right endorsement from someone like Banksy can suddenly become like a millionaire. But I think that's what the whole piece is. <clears throat> I know, but that scene sort of crystallised it for me. But I still think it's true. No, uh, look, uh, who knows? Uh, who I mean, cares? it's such an... But, you'd be, you don't believe in conspiracies, right? That no, no, but I don't... But, but I don't think of it as a conspiracy. I think of it as genuinely like... Like, I mean, if a guy can keep his identity pretty much secret for all that time... But not only that, if a guy can actually just get that scale of work done, like, you know, on a, on a precision sense... Mm. That, like, I... Okay, there was a... This is so ridiculous, but this is true. There was a time, about five years ago, six years ago, where I was so fascinated by the idea of that sort of, you know, street art and, like, you know, I really, like, was like, I, maybe I want to do something, you know, with my comedy that's a bit more sort of, you know, experiential in the world. Like, and instead of, like, getting on stage and going, here are my jokes, like, putting stuff out there just in society randomly. Yeah. Like, you know, like they do with that. Like, not just like what Banksy does, but just I felt like there was, like, things I wanted to say that maybe would be better said in, like, you know, in different ways. Yeah. And then I went, oh, it's too much. Work. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to get a van. <laughs> I don't know how to do stencils. Uh <laughs> I'd never be able to keep it secret because everyone would be suddenly like, I'd be asking people, um, do you know anyone who's got a black van? Well, you know, okay, here's what I would argue, right? I reckon that documentary is as much a hoax as Jack and Jill is a hoax. No, I disagree. In terms of Adam Sandler, like, Adam Sandler knows exactly what he's doing. Like, Adam Sandler, Mr. Brainwash to Banksy is like Rob Schneider to Adam Sandler. Right. Like, Rob Schneider, uh, Adam Sandler, like, you know, gives his seal approval to a Rob Schneider project. And so Adam Sandler's making 20 million. He spits, uh, sprinkles a little bit of fairy dust on Rob Schneider and his film makes like 20 million or something like that. So that's kind of what Banksy has done with this guy. So, you know, if it is a hoax, is that he's gone, yeah, look, I'm going to make this documentary, but it's, you're going to be a legitimate artist. Like, I'm going to get you started. I just want to see if these people will eat up what you do. I think, I think that's too random for Banksy. I think what he would do is make it seem like that and put the extra level on. Like, it feels to me like it's a complete piece of work. Even what he did with, like, around the Oscars and how involved he was in that whole thing. You know, he went over to LA and did, like, a whole lot of sort of guerrilla street art in the week leading up to the Oscars and, you know, made cool stuff around town. Like, he's just, like, an interesting cat, like, in the way that he understands. To me, like, I think Banksy's like a Steve Jobs. Like, they're just guys who have a way of thinking about this world and, like, you know, looking at our society. Like, you know, and they just see the world in a certain way and have a real vision of, like, what that world is and how they want to comment on it. And, like, Banksy to me seems like our piss-weak version of, like, a, you know, a John Connor. Like, someone who's, like, you know... As in Terminator. Yeah, like, you know, (laughs) but no, but, like, you know, like... It's this kind of, but more just rebelling against Yeah, he's the, the guy system. to unify yeah, yeah. by fighting against the machine. Just saying to a whole bunch of people, like, to me, Banksy says... Free your mind. Yeah. He's Morpheus to Neo. Yeah, totally. Like, and he has that sort of, like, you know, the spirit of the, you know, the Occupy movement, even though, like, his work sells for, like, you know... Yeah. Enough to, you know, buy a house How every time he, he sells something. How to keep his identity a secret? Like... I mean, there has been some stuff about, like, because, like, a couple of UK newspapers kind of, like, you know, did a real thing about tracking him down and there's allegations about who it certainly is. But even post that, he still kind of spun the myth. Like, I mean, he had spokespeople and stuff like that. Like, it's been a real sort of... There's been levels to it and I just find it really interesting. Oh, it's so fascinating. I mean, they'll they'll make a movie, a biopic about him. 
even the fact that we had this conversation about that movie, like even if it isn't a hoax, the fact that he is so now that you believe that he could do this whole thing that was a hoax and that would be his like piece of work and he doesn't come out at the end and go, yay, how good am I at everything? Yeah. Like that's the bit that no one can understand. Understand. You are the most acclaimed street artist on the planet. Don't you want to get some kind of... Everybody would love to, you know, know who Banksy is, you know? Yeah. Didn't work out for the Stig. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what Banksy says to all his friends who are like, Banksy, it's time. Come out, man. You're a massive star. Go to the Oscars. He's like, look what happened to the Stig. (laughs) Well, I, he can't. Because that's what a lot of people don't know is Banksy loves Top Gear. But I've always like I've always tried to, um, you know, think. Oh God, we're going back to Batman. But could like you know Bruce Wayne Batman? Could that really happen? Because it's like you know he goes out in the tumbler, bunch of fucking reporters assigned to purely just track him and follow the tumbler back to its yeah. destination. They'd find him within a second. They'd work out who it was. Nah, because like the problem with Gotham is that like they got idiots like Vicky Vale and. Like, the old mate who's always got a fucking press pass in his hat. Like, uh, I mean, yeah. they're not proper reporters. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they just wait around for a press conference and ask a few questions. No, but I'm saying in the real world. Like, it's amazing me that Banksy can keep his identity a secret because... I mean, it is, there is, there it is so interesting many, it's not, it's that those like, same sort of... It's not of, like he's, like, a, a, a fucking failed businessman on the run changing passports... He's leaving works of art and has, like, huge crews that set up huge fucking events for him. Like, he's trackable. Yet somehow... I mean, surely someone like the Daily Mail has not dumped like half a million pounds to someone to say, hey, tell us who Banksy is. I would have loved. How does he stop his crew from like being bought? I would have loved if after um, uh, the Americans finally found Osama bin Laden, (laughs) (laughs) if they've gone in the Oval Office and said, uh, President Obama, we've taken down uh, the number one villain against the American people. Who's next on your list for us to find? Banksy. (laughs) (laughs) We've got Saddam, Kim Jong-il's gone, uh, Osama's gone, we're going after Banksy. We want to know who Banksy is. Do you think he'll ever reveal who he is? Um, I think he'll have to, yeah. I mean, he's, he's got. I think he's got two choices. He either uh, reveals himself kind of while he's still relevant, or he just fades, like just... Or just cuts all connection, and then it's like deep throat. It's just like a mystery for years. Well, People it just would be, sad. It, would be it would be sad in like twenty years for Banksy finally to reveal himself, and then he's doing another tour. You know, a bit like the Sex yeah. Pistols getting back together right. or something. He's doing tea towels. Yeah, <laughs> it would be amazing because he has such kind of firmly held beliefs on you know uh, commerce and stuff. It'd be interesting to see, you know. Well, I mean, you know, maybe it's just a really fucking legitimate, like, you know... Artist. Artist. Like, and when I say artist, you know, a lot of people don't dig his stuff or whatever, but it's... I just mean someone who goes, well, this is what I believe and this is how I'm going to do it. Like, I dig that. Like, I don't think there's enough of that anymore because we all kind of have to conform to, you know, what you're meant to do, you know, as as an artist. But I, I kind of dig that whole just like, well, this is how I'm going to do it. This is just what I'm up to now. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's inspiring. It's a fucking inspiring doco. Okay, so I'll tell you quickly. Uh, do we have to? Yeah, well, let's wind yeah. this up. So. so I'll tell you a couple of uh, quick other celebrities that we saw because yeah. there was one night in particular that was an absolute corker. Yeah. So we've gone to this bar, um, and it was a pretty nice place. It's called Soho House, and um, uh, and it was just a fucking celebrity smorgasbord. It was ridiculous. I'll try to do them. In, I won't do like do um, them in order of Oscars. Yeah, I was going to say I won't do them from bottom bottom to top, but 
I'll, I'll put it like this. Um, uh, Chris Hemsworth was there, Thor, yeah. um, who's thin, he's like thinned down a lot now. Like, you know, he looks just like... Normal. You know, normal. Instead of the God of Thunder. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, he was there. Uh, Alexander Skarsgård, who I've spoken about on the podcast who, before from True enough, Blood. was rivaled, uh, was uh, also auditioned for Thor. Is that right? He's one of the candidates, yeah. Wow. And so, he's actually like Norse, so... He was there. Um, and he, uh, my girlfriend literally, as we walked through the door, pushed me out of the way and said, get away from me. <laughs> like, physically pushed me away from her because he was there and she didn't want to be seen with me or in the radius of me. Uh, and you know what? I applauded that. I was into that. I was like, well, if you could get the drink sent to where I'm going to go and sit, that would be fantastic. <laughs> and I'll be fine with that. Uh, but that is nothing compared to who was sitting at the next table to us. Should we play a quick game of yeah. celebrity head? Let's do it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um, there was uh, three. I'm going to give you this. Uh, and uh, there was three um, actors sitting at the table okay. together. But um, if you tell me who the other two are, will help me get who I am? Uh, no. Okay. You know what? I'll give you two and I'll let you guess one. Okay. Okay. First one. Sean Penn. Mm. Pretty good, right? That's a pretty good, like, you know, celebrity spot. Uh, Second one, Tim Robbins. So, you know, they're mates. They're having a drink together. Tim Robbins. Sean Penn. Sean Penn. Yeah, of course. Uh, Dead Man Walking, Tim Robbins directed. Yeah, exactly. And uh, there was... um, uh, Oh, no, I've got to guess the last one, don't I? And uh, and, uh, Mystic River, I think they were in together as well. So there's like, uh, you know, good connection. Obviously, pals makes a lot of sense. Okay. Then you've got to guess... Who the third person? And it's sort of there is a relationship between like, or is it like completely red herring? All I'm going to say is that this person is also a Hollywood actor. Oh, for fuck's sake! Uh, well, you got to ask some questions. Okay. Am, I, am I a guy? Yes. Am I over forty? Yes. Am I handsome? Uh, I'm going to say no, but uh, you you do well with the ladies. Um, have I had a career revival recently? Uh, no, you've had a pretty consistent career, a bit up and down, but pretty consistent. Okay. Um, am I known for one role or one film in particular? No. Uh, one TV show made you famous. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Am I, uh, so am I, I'm not an Oscar winner. Uh, no. I'm more of a TV actor than a movie <laughs> you're more, actor. You're more, than a t- more of a TV actor than a movie actor, though you've certainly okay. done a uh, TV what, show movies. It was my deca- decade, the 80s. Uh, no. Was my decade the 90s? Uh, uh, kind of... Early 90s. Early, no, I would noughties. say 2000. Okay. The uh, noughties. Did I only have one? Or two, the noughties or just The 90s noughties. Uh, did my show run for five years? Um, oh, you've been on a, a few shows. Uh, you had, probably have had two that went ran for five years or more. Okay. Am I a comedian? You're a comedian. Hmm. Did I have a sitcom? Uh, you've been in a couple of sitcoms. Currently in one, I think. Sean Penn. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, fuck. Currently in a sitcom. Yeah. Uh, I'm over 40. Yeah. God. Uh, do I have a beard? No. Do I have a mustache? No. Am I bald? No. You've got actually, you've got long shoulder length hair. Oh, shit, man. It's blonde. Comedian. Well, kind of like, you know, kind of like a bob almost. What the fuck? Am I Prince Valiant? <laughs> it's, it's a bit like that. But it's not quite like that. It's a bit edgier than that. Uh, I'm edgy. 
So I'm edgy. No, his look is a little bit edgier than Prince Valiant. His look is edgy. He's little. He's a little fella. Ah, oh, am I David Spade? You are David Spade. Hanging out with Sean, Sean Penn, Penn and Tim, Tim Robbins and David Spade. What would they have to talk about? <laughs> no. Is that not a one of these things is not like the other one? Wow, that's amazing. That's so... That's, yeah, that's so bizarre. Was yeah. he... Was he meant to be sitting there? No, he was waiting their table. <laughs> it was... He was their valet. But it kind of makes sense because David Spade, I could understand, like he's like a real Hollywood identity. Like, you know, he's, yeah. you see him in, he's, been, he's guested on Entourage. That's how I know that you're like, you know, sort of. But I also think that like, I mean, Saturday Night Live was a lot bigger in America. I think David Spade's a bigger And Tim Robbins had probably hosted Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And you know what? I'd like to hang out with David Spade. I think he's funny. Okay. And he knows lots of hot blonde chicks. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, speaking of hot chicks. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember what the name of the woman is, but she's the one from Modern Family. The Sophie Vergara. Yep, she was there. Uh, And just after we left, uh, but when our friends were still there, Angelina Jolie was there. Get fucked. That's like seeing a unicorn. (laughs) And I was like, well, who's fucking home with the children? (laughs) You've got 19 children. What are you doing at fucking... We left at two. (laughs) It's late for you to be getting there. Okay. But this is my favourite bit of this story. So all these people are in the bar. Alexander Skarsgård, Chris Hemsworth, uh, Angelina Jolie. Chris Hemsworth is rubbing shots. Jeez, hasn't his career ascended quickly? I know. Uh, Sean Penn, Tim Robbins, all there. David Spoke, all there together. So we've seen all these people. We're like, oh my God, you know, this is like really, this is a lot of stars in the one room at just some bar. You know, we're quite excited by this. Then we've turned around and we've seen an Australian celebrity. Now, this is what I really want you, you to guess because it was just the most incongruous person I'll to see. I'll never fucking guess it. Okay. <laughs> no, you will. Oh. You will guess it. All right. Am I an entertainer? Yes. Am I over 40? Yes. Am I over 50? Nah, I don't know. I'd say between you 40 Am and 50. Am I a man? Yes. Am I an actor? Uh, you're an actor and a comedian. I'll give you that. Uh, okay, am I bald? No, you're not bald. You have a good head of hair. Black hair, shoulder length, David Spade-esque. Um, I'm Mick Malloy? <laughs> no, but of the same era, of the same vintage. Okay. Yeah, you're in, the, you're in a, a decent sort of zone. Am I Paul McDermott? No, you're not Paul McDermott. No, 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 you're not Paul McDermott. No, you've got to think about someone who's, you know, he's, like he's been Hollywood. This is the guy who has been Hollywood. He's okay. made movies. Charlie, this is a guy who was at, you know was not out of place. Uh, Angelina Jolie is a movie star. This guy is a movie star. You could legitimately say that this yeah, guy was serious. a movie star. No, not no, yeah. <laughs> I said movie star. <laughs> that's where he was. That's where, an Australian, that's where he's been an all that time. Uh, a comedian and actor yeah. who is a movie star. Movie star. You could say he hair. was a movie star because he starred in a movie. Australian comedian. Yeah. Besides Paul Hogan and Yahoo Serious, who was it? In the 90s? In 2000s, 90s, I guess. Who the fuck was... There was a sequel that was not quite as successful. Nick Giannopoulos. The wog boy, Nick Giannopoulos, was there. So I've literally looked around this boulevard of fucking broken dreams, past all these Hollywood A-listers, and then I've gone, like, oh my God, it's the wog boy. Wow. It is the wog boy, Nick Giannopoulos. Wow. That would have brought you crashing back to... No. You know the fun thing is, like, like... Nick is like, I've, I've met him a couple of times and he's a, a fucking cracking bloke and he's like life of the party. And he's like one of those guys who I went over to say good day, and 
it was like he'd thrown his own party and just those other people had rocked up. Like, it was, if you had walked in and you didn't know who the movie stars were, you would have gone, I don't know who the movie stars are, but obviously it's that guy's party. Yeah, right. Like, he is the guy who is owning this room. Wow. It was magnificent to watch. <laughs> so, so pretty soon we'll see Wogboy 3 in 3D. Yeah. Wogboy 3D. Yeah. <laughs> All right, With, let's... Like let, it. Oh, sorry, I got there you go. No? Uh, no, we have to wind this up yes. because I'm hungry. Um, so you can check out our Facebook page. We have a Twitter account, TweetFault. Will and I both have uh, Twitter accounts. Yep. But Facebook's probably the, the... That's like the Hall of Justice. Yeah. That's our central operating... Yeah, we try to write on the Facebook page as often as possible. Um, uh, I've been on a couple of other podcasts. Uh, Walking the Room, of course. I did a couple of episodes of that. Oh, yeah, um, we should just touch on Dave Anthony's amazing impersonation of me. Yeah. <laughs> Flawless. I thought it was pretty good, actually. It did sound <laughs> a lot like it. If I was an 18th century boot cleaner... <laughs> Polish your boots, Gov. It's really funny that, like, when, like, you're in America, quite often you get mistaken for being British. Yet when they do our accent, I don't like. I don't know what they hear. Like, well, you know, when they do our accent, it's like, oh my god, is that what I sound like to you when I speak normally? Because that's what I start to fear is all they hear when I talk is. Yeah, we sound like chainsaws. Um, so yeah, walking the room. Uh, I did another one called Battleship Pretension, um, which is like a movie review podcast, which I think you would really like, Charlie. They, oh, we're not movie review. They just have discussions about movies. They raise a really interesting point uh, about Back to the Future, which we might talk about another time. But um, yeah, it's a really fascinating uh, movie podcast. So uh, I do that as well. If you want to check that out, oh, and I'm on tour, um, willanderson.com.au. But I'm in Adelaide uh, really soon, and then uh, Brisbane and uh, Melbourne for the comedy festival. <laughs> There you go. That's about it? Yep. Okay, well, I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Taking the tradesman's entrance to the rewards room. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>